0: My name is Paul Cho. I'm one of the pastors at a Village Church, located in Beaverton, Oregon. Um, many years ago, um, before I got hired at Village, the church asked me if they could consider me as a candidate for the pastoral position that they were looking for. So, frankly, I said to them, "You should get a better person than myself for the role." self seeing that I'm inadequate for the for the role they were looking for. so they looked at me for a few seconds and said, yes, indeed. (laughs) It'll be a tremendous blessing if we get a well-prepared, excellent pastor. And they continued, but we think it is also a church's role to nurture an ordinary person into an excellent pastor. So that's how I got involved in Village. I'm saying this because in that sense, on behalf of the whole Congregational Village, I want, th- I want to thank you, Antioch, uh, for having raised, nurtured for many years, and commissioned an amazing, well-prepared pastor and the same-minded family members, Tamara and the four daughters, to a city where their presence is truly needed as well. So thank you. Seeing Pastor Pete and the new vision and mission of Antioch, I'm once again convinced that God always pays back with a better provision <laughs> And please be ready If we happen to have any problem with Pastor Ken We might come back for a customer service and consultation <laughs> <laughs> Let me pray as we begin 하나님, In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please let me uh, begin with my own uh, personal story. It's been about eight years uh, since I first moved into the city of Portland. Before I came to Portland, I lived in a few other places. Uh, I was born in Seoul, South Korea. When I was 14 years old, my family immigrated to New Zealand, uh, to a beautiful city called Christchurch. Mm, yes, the, the Christchurch, uh, where we saw on the TV news a couple of weeks ago. Having grown up there, and after first two years of college, I myself moved to Los Angeles for schooling, and after that, moved up to Vancouver, Canada, for a graduate uh, seminary training. And after that, long story short, I moved to London, England uh, for father's study and then ministry. And after that, I took the longest ever flight in my life uh, and moved from London to Sydney, Australia uh, to stay with my family for a while. And after that, I moved to the, one of the most beautiful cities and uh, the nature-accessible cities of the world, the Rose City, <laughs> the city of Portland, uh, which is now my home and where God has placed my family to live. Through the journey of life, one of the questions uh, and I found difficult to answer was an identity question. Who am I and where am I from? Identity question. Often it did not get most clearly defined. I guess it was about 13, 14 years ago from now, uh, I was still living in Vancouver, Canada and I was on a road trip to Colorado Springs with my cousin who is from Los Angeles, and that's where we started the trip. It was when I was fueling at a gas station, and perhaps out of boredom and no serious intention, a person who was fueling next to me asked me the question that I often hear, you know, the question, where are you from? (laughs) A very simple question, but very difficult to answer. So this was inside my mind. If your question is about my ethnicity, or where I was born, I'm Korean. If about my citizenship, I'm a Kiwi, New Zealander. If about where I'm living, I live in Vancouver, Canada. If about where I studied the trip, it was Los Angeles. If about where I studied the day's trip, it was Las Vegas. So which one are you looking for? (laughs) So after an awkward moment of silence, and then leaving all these anguishes, I just said, I am Korean. <laughs> and then with a big smile, there was a typical response that I often hear. Oh, I've been to Korea once. Annyeonghaseyo. <laughs> and then we exchanged a few uh, words and, and left. Identity of an immigrant. It just never gets clearly defined. While living in the United States, I become and considered as a Korean. But in Korea, I'm considered as a person from the United States. So that's the dilemma that most immigrants experience. In academia, it's called dynamic ethnicity, dynamic ethnicity, meaning ethnicity is not a static concept, but a dynamic concept, which changes depending on the context. Like a chameleon, a social amphibian, having to change its color, based on the context so immigrants usually experience a sense of emptiness chaos with regards to their identity feeling as if i am wearing something that don't really fit having lost the sense of belonging to both cultures lonely and questioning who am i where am i why am i here And I bet everyone, every family, every immigrant has a story to tell in this regard. Later, I realized that this was not just my story, but a global one. Immigration has always been a part of the human history, but at the turn of the previous and the current centuries, this has become an unprecedented characteristic of the world that we are living in, meaning God is moving people rapidly and widely, from everywhere to everywhere, from Mexico to the United States, from the Philippines to China, from Europe to Asia, in a speed and an amount that has never been before. People are moving into cities. Over 50% of the global population is now living in cities. Among the 30 million immigrants in the United States, over 13 million immigrants, which is 30%, arrived in the States in the 1990s alone within that 10-year window. Then I realized my experience is just a tiny piece of the global phenomena, and I began to question about what God intends to do through these unprecedented changes. In other words, where is Jesus in the midst of immigration? Globalization and urbanization in this special generation? How can we faithfully respond as a church following after his heart and plan? What's God's expectation or discipleship call on how immigrants should live in the new land? What's his expectation or discipleship call on how the host people should live together with the immigrants? What insight or direction does the Bible have, if any, about this? When I began to proactively question this, uh, that was when I was about to start a PhD program at Bristol, England, in the, in the area of the New Testament. But I decided to take on a personal retreat in order to ask if God wants me to change a topic and study about this global phenomena from the lens of a Christian missiology. So I took a break, went to a labri, which is a personal retreat center founded by Francis Schaffer. With a specific prayer, God, it seems there is a scholarly expert whose name is Dr. Enoch Wan, a Chinese-American missiologist who is at Western Seminary in Oregon. Do you want me to go there and do some research about Korean diaspora and Christian mission under Dr. Enoch Wan? If so, Lord, I need your sign. I don't usually ask for a miraculous sign because I, I believe the Spirit is already working in and over myself. But it was, it was one of those rare moments in which I really needed a sign for the potential drastic shift. So long story short, I was alone at the retreat Center on the first day. Uh, there was no roaring thunder sign. There was no revelation of Jesus in my dream. But on the second day, there was an unexpected visitor to the center whom I never knew, first time for him there too. At our first handshake, both of of us being the guests there, he suddenly handed over a book, saying, this just came out from Lausanne, Switzerland. Are you interested in this topic by any chance? And this was the book, Korean Diaspora and Christian Mission. (laughs) (laughs) And when I flipped over a few pages, I found an article by Dr. Enoch Wan from Western Seminary. (laughs) So I purchased a flight ticket to PDX (laughs) and moved into the town in the summer of 2011. I'm sharing this testimony Not because this was a unique experience, but because every single one of us in this room has the same experience. Meaning, no one in this room and no one in this city is here by accident. Whether we recognize it or not, there is a divine orchestration beneath and above the courses of our life. Jesus is the conductor of your life. Our Sovereign Lord has greater thoughts than yours, has greater plans and wisdom for your life and for the world and for the city. He has placed you here, brought you here, and that's why He has raised you here. Each one of us is in His plans. He's alive and He's the conductor, working in the midst of our histories. And God has plans with the phenomena of moving people around in this generation. Let us first look at the scripture from a lens of an immigrant. And after that, we'll look at the scripture from a lens of a host culture. First, through the survey of the scripture, I learned that God has actually written a special letter to the people on the move. The purpose of the letter was to inform them how to live as his people in the new land. And we can find the letter from Jeremiah 29. Verse one, this is the text of the letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders among the exiles and to the priests, the prophets, and all the other people Nebuchadnezzar had carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. So Jeremiah 29 is a letter that Jeremiah, God's inspired prophet, wrote to the people living in the foreign land. These were the people who moved from Jerusalem to Babylon and they were, there were various reasons for their moves. Some of them were elites from Israel, representing the brains and intellects of the people group. Some others were workers who, who, who came to Babylon to work with construction and all sorts of businesses. If we read verse 2, we'd find more information. They were government officials, leaders, craftsmen, artisans, technicians of the days. All sorts of backgrounds. They came to this foreign land, some voluntarily and some involuntarily. These were the scattered people, the so-called diaspora, which means in Greek, the scattered people. And the content of the letter is as follows. Reading from verse 4. Also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. So what is God saying here in this letter? Two things. First, the first message to the people on the move is to settle down there as if you were to live there forever. Settle down there as if you were to live there forever. In other words, God is talking about having a sense of ownership for the land during the period of their stay. It has nothing to do with buying the properties. (laughs) Don't interpret the text in a wrong way. It is is about the posture of life. It has everything to do with the self-awareness that this is the land that God has sent you to be, this sense of missio, mission. You are not a nomad, wandering around, looking for something good, having found no place to settle down, waiting to be moved to somewhere else when a better opportunity appears. God is saying this is the land. Settle down right there as if you were to live there forever until the last day of your stay there. Look at verse 5. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Why is he saying this? Why build a house? Why plant gardens? The Israelites in the foreign land might have been thinking, this is just a temporary life. We won't be living here forever. We'll go back to our hometowns later anyways. Just 70 years here as promised. Then we'll go back as promised. A temptation to an immigrant is to keep remaining as a nomad. Not relating to the local people because you will leave someday anyways. Not, re- not being interested in the local news because you will leave someday. Not getting into deeper relationships because they will cease someday. God has promised the Israelites that he will call them back to Jerusalem after 70 years. Yes, that is true. God might someday move his people again to somewhere else. Nevertheless, God is still asking them to live with an attitude of a permanent resident of the city. The focus is at the attitude, their posture towards life. This is where God has sent me to be. This is a discipleship call to the people on the move. Stay away from a temptation to remain as a nomad, but have a sense of ownership, the sense of mission. It is God who sent me here. And the second message can be found in verse 7. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if he prospers, you too will prosper. The second call for the people on the move is to seek the peace of the city. God did not scatter the Israelites to Babylon just to survive, just to be punished, just for their sake. They were sent there to seek the peace and prosperity of the city. In other words, God is asking, talking about having a sense of Christian stewardship for the land during the period of their stay. That means above all the agendas of our own, immigrants are sent here by God to pray for the peace of the city of Bend and Oregon. Do you believe that? We all, each one of us, Every single person in this room came to this city or was born in this city never to exploit the land, but to be a blessing to the community. Seeking the peace, shalom of the city and the community. None of us is here by accident. There is a providential agenda of the kingdom on our move and on our stay, and it is to bless the land. Neri santos a filipino biblical scholar the, did a study of the bible exploring the concept of the scattering um, or dispersion in the scripture looking at both the old testament and the new testament he discovers and rightly insists that god has his own intentions when he scatters his people and nations every time three insights were found in the phenomenon as depicted in the scripture first Scattering of people are not by accident, but are under God's orchestration and control. People don't move by accident. There is a providential footprint of God in every move. Think about Joseph in Genesis and others, all the figures in the scripture. People don't move by accident. And second observation, when God scatters people, he always promises hope, not despairs. Look at verse 11 of today's passage. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to, to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. God scatters people to give his people hope. It's not a secular prosperity like an American dream, but an eternal prosperity. Prosperity, the kingdom prosperity with which we live our lives with the eternally benevolent one, meaning to know him and to love him, eternal hope. And third observation God used scattered people to witness for his kingdom. Whenever the scatterings took place, the gospels were preached. It is true in the biblical stories, but it's also true in the history of the world. Over the centuries of the history, God has scattered individuals and people groups to deliver his kingdom gospel representations. So in sum, this is the message from the Lord to the people on the move. First, settle down here as if you were to live here forever. And second, Seek the peace and prosperity of this city. It's not an American dream, but a kingdom dream that he is inviting us to see together. And on the other hand, God has written another letter, did you know, to the people in the host land. And the letter is called the letter to the Ephesians. It is primarily written to the Gentiles living in the Asia Minor from the long time ago who were experiencing some kinds of difficulties because of the recent influx of Jewish Christian presence in their proximity. So Paul says in verse 13 in chapter 2, now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. For he himself, Jesus, is our peace, who has made the two, the Jews and the Gentiles, one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. And look at this. His purpose was to create in himself one new man out of the two, thus making peace and in this one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached the peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have the access to the Father by one spirit. So what is Paul saying here? A discipleship call from hostility to hospitality. From hostility to hospitality. That's the purpose of his cross, Says Paul. His purpose was to create in himself one new man out of the two, which is the church. The most important defining mark of a church, any churches, is reconciliation. Reconciliation of all things, reconciliation with God from hostility to acceptance. And also reconciliation with those who are different from us. From hostility to hospitality, creating one new man out of the two. That's what God means by holiness. Holiness is not a religious term as often depicted by certain rituals. It is a relational term. Reconciled relationship with God and reconciled relationship with those who are different from us. That is holiness. We are naturally reconciled to those who are similar to us. And it is called ethnocentrism. It is a human nature. We are drawn to each other When we share common backgrounds and interests. But the effect and the power of the gospel is revealed in our proactive reconciliation with those who are different from us, because that's against our sinful natural instincts. Look at verse 21. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. Do you see this beauty? Jews and the Gentiles joining together. And that's the way to become a holy temple in the Lord. From hostility to hospitality, the shift is called holiness. So God is alive and truly working in this special generation. Everything that I've said thus far is not just ideal theories nor any politics, but is already an ongoing history with evidences. There are lots of unique stories that are being written and told in the kingdom of Jesus as of today as churches commit themselves to faithfully respond to the immigrant and host land discipleship calls. And please let me share a very, very brief history of my own community from this perspective, um, just as a case study to see what God is doing in in these demographic changes and a multicultural generation and society. It's just one story among so many uh, stories out there. With the help from Forest Grove Baptist Church, Village Church was founded in, in a region called Marine Village, which is also known as Beaverton, back in 1949. Pastor Al Fuller was the founder, um, and Reverend Frank Dobra was the first lead pastor from 1949 to 52. And, and the background picture is, um, is a picture of the church, a dedication on December 14, 1951. By 1966, uh, nearly 230 adults were involved, and growth was limited by existing facility. That was, that's our front office today. <laughs> we imagine 230 people in the front office. So the church agreed um, on building a little more spacious sanctuary, which is now called the chapel. So on March 5th, 1967, our current chapel was built and dedicated. Pastor Bob Luther was pastoring back then, and he emphasized during the process, he said, where there is no vision, the people perish. Where there is no vision, the people perish. Meaning that this uh, building project is not just a a building project, but a vision casting, vision discerning process and project. And and this um, is the actual program uh, for the service of dedication back in 1967. Through a responsive reading that day, the whole congregation dedicated the facility to God, saying the following, for the extension of thy kingdom, through missionary endeavor and worldwide evangelism, for the upbuilding of the immediate community, and for the spreading of goodwill to all men, and all races. So this was the prayer of my own community, spreading of goodwill to all men. And I'm sure they also met all women. (laughs) And all races, worldwide, and the immediate community. Think about this. It was 1967. Think about America in the 1960s. 1967, it's a year prior to the assassination of Martin Luther King Jr. All races, it's not an American dream, but a kingdom dream, kingdom vision that the church prayed for. And it has been a long prayer dedicated to the Lord. Just like your prayers, reconciliation of all things, in all things. And in the late 1980s, the leadership of the church read from the local newspaper about the changing demography of the Washington County, and they started to become concerned about themselves, saying to one another, the local demography is changing, and yet we are predominantly white. Shouldn't we be a church that reflects the local society in terms of ethnicities, Races, generations, socioeconomic status, and so forth. And there was another prayer. Was it an answer to the prayer in 1991 one Korean family joined village? And then another family joined. And then another family joined. They sat around the table and shared reflections about the Sunday sermon because it's not 100% understanding, you know, listening to a sermon in English. So they sat around the table and talked about their reflections and checked whether they understood correctly. And another table was added, and another one. And then the gathering became what is known as a Korean Fellowship today. After that, God has brought in the Indian Fellowship, the Hispanic Fellowship, Chinese Fellowship, and Asian American Fellowship. And as far as I know, there are about 35 nationalities represented at Village Today. Remember, for the extension of thy kingdom, through missionary endeavor and worldwide evangelism, for the upbuilding of the immediate community, and for the spreading of goodwill to all men, all women, and all races. Nobody fully knew how this communal prayer would unfold back in 1967. Nobody can claim that this was my master plan from the beginning. It is the Christ, the conductor, Sovereign Lord, who is fully present in our moves, every single one of them. Gracious Lord, who brings about the gospel of reconciliation. It is Christ who orchestrates the histories of individuals, societies, and the world and builds up his own church, the one new man. The gospel is not a theory, it's a reality that we are already living in. We often ask this question, how should a church preach the gospel to this generation? Our focus is not to numerically expand the kingdom. That is his business. But our focus is to represent the kingdom by who we are, by how we live, and how we relate to each other. How do we preach the the, the reconciliation of all things gospel of Jesus? We represent the gospel. We preach by being a reconciled community in Christ. Isn't that our ultimate identity and vocation? Communities that represent reconciliations with those who are different from themselves. About a year ago from now, of a good friend of mine who is currently pastoring in Portland, Pastor Kim Il-Hwan from Irvine, California, told me about a group of Koreans living in band. I was told that it's a group of faithful Korean Christians seeking for God's guidance on their lives and the community. And upon hearing, I remember saying to myself, 얼굴도 뵌 없는 분들이지만, I remember saying to myself I don't know them but they are so precious There's no Korean-speaking church no professional Korean-speaking pastor but they are gathering to worship the Lord by themselves as a small, faithful community That's so precious And around the same time, I was told from Pastor Ken and others that there is a faithful Christian community in band called Antioch Church, who loves the Lord so much, who loves the city so much, and who is so passionate and serious about participating in the reconciling ministries of Jesus in this generation. And I thought, that's so precious. After a year from those thoughts, isn't this amazing that I'm standing here in this space at Antioch Church together with those precious group of Korean brothers and sisters worshiping the triune God in one voice? Isn't this a unique story of the kingdom? Who would have been the one who orchestrated all these lives and stories? Can anyone claim that this was his master plan from the beginning except the one above? I don't exactly know what his plan would be for your relationships to each other in the days ahead. But I do know that he has something unique and special for each one of you and each of those two groups. I don't exactly know what your expectations to each other are Today alike, But I do know that God has some expectations for your future relationships in his kingdom. With expectancies in the conductor above, I want to propose a few practical suggestions as I close the message this morning. I believe these practices would enrich your relationships in some direct and indirect ways. I believe everyone in this room could do at least one of the following four practical suggestions. Are you ready? First, for you readers, why don't you read just one or two books on other ethnic groups, history, or culture? Just one book, one good book. It'll change your attitude and broaden your understanding towards the other. For Korean American history and immigrant life, I would suggest a book titled Marginality uh, by Zhang Young Lee, who's a Drew University scholar. For Hispanic history and theology, I would recommend Manana uh, by Justo Gonzalez. For non-Western worldview, gospel, and non-Western theology, I would recommend uh, the 3D gospel by Jason Georges. There are many other good books out there but these are good books to start with. Just one or two books. It'll change your attitude and broaden your understanding towards the other. And second, for those who fall asleep in a few pages, (laughs) don't worry about those books. (laughs) But invite a family of another ethnic background from your work from your neighborhood, from church, to a meal table and listen. And I really mean this. Listen to their stories of immigration and life. Just try to be genuine and build friendship without any artificial agenda. One genuine friend, one genuine friend from another culture will change and enrich your life in a whole new way. And third, for those who are anti-reading and (laughs) anti-social, that's okay, Jesus still loves. (laughs) Why don't you try a task or a project with a person of different cultural backgrounds? Working together, I mean, and collaborating you might want to go skiing to your backyard, Mount Bachelor, together. <laughs> go on a community service together. Perhaps go on a short-term mission trip together. Just be intentional in doing this together with the people from other cultural backgrounds. You will learn from them that there are many different ways in doing things. And be enriched by their approaches and understandings. You'll be surprised, I'm sure. And fourth, surprise, none of those above, that's okay, God is still gracious. Why don't you try an ethnic restaurant in the local area? (laughs) Perhaps a Korean food. Save your souls and bodies from the bondage of hamburgers and steaks. (laughs) but come to the presence of bibimbap in a stone pop (laughs) in a Korean restaurant. (laughs) For meat lovers, there's Korean barbecue, which will change your appetite for the rest of your life. (laughs) What's the point of all these? Prayer for the other and genuine relationships would be the fundamental basis and beginning of anything that God would do within and through us. Not only that, it is also the purpose of of everything. Praying for one another and genuine friendship, genuine relationship is the purpose of, of everything. Remember what Paul said in the letter, we are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. Yes, we are neighbors in the city of Bend. But no, we are closer than that. We are Elmanos and Elmanas. 형제이고 자매입니다. Brothers and sisters in Christ, a household of God. God has orchestrated your lives to be a blessing to the person next to you. Don't you want to receive the gift that God has put beside you? How beautiful you are worshiping the triune God together. Will you all stand with me to pray? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for you are the conductor of our lives, the conductor of the history, orchestrating everything for the building of your kingdom. Thank you that you care about us, have plans for our lives. Bless us, Lord. Reconcile us so that we will be a blessing. To those around us and to this land of yours. In your name, amen.